Hi, my name is Steve Warren, and I want to welcome you to this podcast. I'm believing today you'll be filled with faith, you'll be energized by hope, and you'll feel loved as this message seeks to transform and empower your life. God bless you as you listen to this. Well, church, it's so good to be talking to you today about worship in this great series, What Don't I Believe? I hope you're getting a lot out of this. So important that we build a firm foundation. You know, I remember the first time I was in worship like we experienced in C3 Imagine, and I dared to raise my hands. It certainly was not part of the way I was brought up. It certainly was not familiar to me in how one should worship, but it did do something for me in terms of my worship experience. So we're talking about worship today. So let's kick off. What don't I believe about worship? I don't believe that worship are the few songs we sing on a Sunday. What do I believe? I believe worship is us bringing glory to God through our entire lives in terms of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our expression. It's glorifying Him. In fact, in the 1640s, a group of theologians were brought together in England to discuss what is the foundation of our faith. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's a reformed theology. We wouldn't agree with all of it, but we would agree with most of it. The first question asked in that confession was this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer they came up with was this, man, man's chief and end is to glorify God and to, to, to enjoy him forever. That is to say, you and I have been created as worshipers. We were born for worship. We were made on purpose to give him glory. Ephesians 1.12 puts it like this. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You were designed to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. So one of the greatest writers on worship, in fact, one of the greatest writers of worship songs, and one of the people who seem to have a whole life understanding of what it is to glorify God is King David, the great king of Israel, poet, songwriter, author. And he puts it like this in Psalm 84. I want to use this psalm as the early context and help us get the heartbeat of worship. And then we're going to look through a number of things that we believe worship is. Psalm 84. Let's go there together. It says this, and by the way, this is written by the sons of Korah. Get this, Korah was in rebellion against Moses. So how wonderful is it that the next generation brought a revival of behavior, a revival of heart for God. I'm saying to you again, and you've heard me say this before, we're going to encounter one of the greatest moves of God, at least this generation has ever seen. I love to see the rising generation hungry for God. So catch this, it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. Can you see this? That worship is being described as a longing. It's a heart cry. It's an orientation 
of our lives are, are wanting to be where God is, are wanting to live our lives in pursuit of Him, that we give our all. You know, uh, many years ago, uh, in the early 90s, in fact, when uh, electronic devices started to take off and you could do more with a phone than just phone and uh, these things called Palm Pilots came out and I don't know why I wanted it, but I just wanted it. There was a itch inside that said, I must have one of these. My life would not be complete without one. And so I went ahead and bought it. We couldn't really afford to buy it at the time and it just got to me. It just bothered me that I bought this thing. In the end, uh, I just gave it away because it troubled me so much. And, you know, when it comes to worship, it's that itch on the inside, that longing for God. But how easy is it for that longing to be placed somewhere else? It could be in a relationship, could be in a career, it could be in something a, a possession, a house, or a something as incidental as a device. And I find this the most useful and helpful expression of worship that is something on the inside that we were made for itching to connect with and bring focus to and attention upon and glory to. And that should be, of course, God, because as we draw near to Him, the Bible promises that He would draw near to us. As we minister to Him, the Bible promises he's going, He is ministering to us. It's an interplay, a two-way interaction. Okay, let's carry on with this psalm. Verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. I'm telling you, our enemies flee when we get, begin to praise. God waters ground that could be dry. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. You see, worship is this pilgrimage. Worship is that thing that says, because I want to glorify God, it doesn't matter how dry or rough the terrain gets, I am pushing through. I am going to continue to walk. I am continuing to pursue regardless of my circumstances. It's an act of worship when we do that. And he concludes with this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Worship is a delight in him. And as we do, the Bible tells us, so he also, in fact, even before we delighted in him, he delighted in us. He rejoices over you with singing. He delights in you. The context of worship is a beautiful interplay of those sorts of dynamics where salvation happens. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about in the context of how church operates in worship, people come to Christ. I tell you, one of the greatest things you can do is you build trusted relationships with people who don't yet believe is to bring them into an environment of worship that their hearts may be spoken to by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what is it we believe 
about worship. First of all, then, we believe worship is a devoted life. That's what I've been talking about. It's uh, I give him all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my life. It's a devoted life. Secondly, we believe worship is a sacrifice. It's the giving up of our own inclinations, leanings, desire for self-attention and self-glory so that he may get the glory. <clears throat> Listen to this, Hebrews 13. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do you see again? Here we see again. It's not just about our lips. It's about the sacrifice of our actions. Worship's not just about songs. It's about action. But it is uh, sacrifices, giving up self for the sake of him. Paul and Silas demonstrated this to apostles who were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And instead of hearing complaining and campaigning, they instead made the sacrifice of those things in order to praise God. And they're found in prison praising God. It was a sacrifice to choose to do that rather than go to their human natural desires. They let praise roll. So worship is a sacrifice. We believe worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Jesus one day, he meets with a Samaritan woman as he's walking through the area and they get talking. And one of the things she raises is the topic of worship. Only for her, she was fixated on where worship should be. It's a geographic thing or a place you go to. And Jesus, over time, talking with her, helped bring her back on the track to say, hey, it's not really about the where, it's about the who and the how. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, uh, sorry, John 4, 23 says this, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, this is about not those who are bothered about where it happens, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Mary knew this, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke 1, she says this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Worship is spiritual. It takes you into a spirit realm. It's the choice to live and walk by the Spirit, choosing to go and move as the Spirit moves and leads. It's not just out of your spirit, out of the inner depths of your spirit, as Mary expressed, but it's also in the Spirit, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, because it takes us into a spiritual realm. And it's in truth. It's a recognition that He is God. When the disciples one day were in the midst of a storm on the lake and Jesus comes and calms the storm, it says they fell down and worshipped him. Oh my gosh, that's the truth. Worship may start in thanksgiving about what he's done, but it'll always end in who he is. Worship's about the truth that God, our God Almighty reigns and he is worthy of our glory and that Jesus is that God. And so part of worship is reconciliation because if we want to live in the spirit and live in the truth to be worshipers, we need to keep our life in sync with God. Again, King David puts it like this in Psalm 24. He says, who 
may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible talks about reconciliation with God, reconciliation with others, 1 John 4, 7. In fact, it says, leave your gift at the altar if you are about to offer worship and there is not something right with a relationship. Go fix a relationship first. 1 Peter encourages us to make sure we're walking well with our wives, husbands, that that relationship matters because that's a reflection of our worship. And so we come before him with purity in spirit and in truth. The fourth thing we believe is that worship is expressive and it's emotive. That was my discovery too with my starting story. I grew up in a church where it wasn't expressive or that emotive, but it unlocked something for me when I discovered that I could raise my hands and shout to the Lord. As Psalm 100 says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. So worship is, a, is, is in song in part. That's what it says. Come before Him with joyful songs. We sing about it. It's not just meditative. We sing about it. It's a joyful expression. Come with joyful songs. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord, says Psalm 95. It's okay to be in joy. And shouts and in words. Shout for joy, that psalm said. You can shout. Come on, everybody. You can shout amen. You can sing a song. It is not old school to shout amen. It's not old school to declare your praises. Hallelujah. Now, I know we don't use that word that often, but hey, we can shout and we can use our words. A.W. Tozer. The, the, in the last century, an American pastor, author, and known for his, his prayer life said this, God dwells in perpetual enthusiasm. That means he's, uh, he dwells in that place where it's this constant expression, enthusiasm, and passion. That's worship. Worship with thanksgiving. Let us enter his praise with thanksgiving. Let them praise his name with dancing. Psalm 149 says, let them dance before the Lord. I will lift up my hands in your name, says Psalm 63. I lift up my head, O ye gates, says Psalm 24. Clap your hands, O ye nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, says Psalm 47. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our maker, says Psalm 95. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. Worship can in, in, um, intentionally be quiet. It can, it's intentional with your body, with your posture, with your expression. Worship is extravagant. Oh my gosh, a woman one day comes to Jesus and pours out an alabaster jar of perfume that was, the Bible tells us, was worth the value of one year's wages. And in worship to Jesus, she pours it out all over her feet. Some were indignant, so angry. They thought so many other things could be done with that money, even helping the poor. And yet Jesus says she has done the most important thing because we were born for worship. You are a worshiper. It is your purpose to bring God glory through your life and your expression. And therefore, it is extravagant. Oh my gosh, after all, what would you do? Uh, 
if something amazing happened to you. Your first child or any child born, my gosh, it's just time of celebration. If you just got a breakthrough and you bought your first house, it was just such a struggle to get. And I would mean, celebrate when Max Verstappen wins the formula, whatever it is, you celebrate. It's normal. Worship starts in the natural with your hands up, but it will always end in the supernatural. The fifth thing, we believe worship is a community expression. Psalm 84, as we read just now, David said he longed to praise him in the house of God. He loved the courts. If I would rather spend a a day in the courts of the Lord and a thousand anywhere else. It's not, worship is not a solo sport. We were born for worship, but we were also born for community. How powerful when those two things wonderfully come together. The church is the gate of heaven. No wonder there's a, 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 a sort of an experience of worship we can have when we gather together that may not be quite as uh, uh, tangible when you're on your own. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs with the Spirit from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord when you're together. Acts 2 tells us they were together praising God. Luke 24, after Jesus was ascended, said they were continually in the temple blessing God. Others can keep us sharp in living our lives to the glory of God. My challenge to us today then is this. Would you gather together every single week in a service in one of our locations? Would you make a commitment today that worship is so important to you that you would do that, that His glory is so important to you that you would do that and quit other things? Would you make a commitment today to be in your group every time it meets or to join a group if you're not in one, knowing that we need one another to sharpen our lives, knowing that worship is not just about song, but an expression of who we are in in glory to Him and that we need others to help us become God-shaped, Jesus-like, God-glorifying. Would you make that commitment today? I challenge every one of us in C3 Imagine because I want us to be a house of worship. I want us to be a people of devoted worshipers, fulfilling the purpose of your existence. And finally, my sixth we believe is we believe worship is centered on Jesus. It's not about us. It's always about Him. Worship may start with what He has done, but it must end with who He is. We enter His courts with thanksgiving, but that's just the entry point we give in thanks. We come into his presence. It may start with thanks, but it should end in wonder where we see and observe his majesty, where our lives live out of that wonder that reflect that majesty, that where we go, his presence goes with us. It may start where our world seems like it's most important. Our world seems supreme, but it ends with his life, Christ as supreme. It may start ordinary, but worship should always end in transforming glory. It should always be in that place where we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another because we become what we worship. 
That's why worshiping Jesus is more important than anything else because we become what we worship. If we worship our career, you'll become a performance machine because you'll become like a commercial organization. That's not you. You're a worshiper of the living God, free, liberated, in grace, full of love, full of peace, full of His power. So to worship Jesus, I'm going to conclude with this incredible scripture about who He is. It says in Colossians 1, the Son is the image, that's visible image, of the invisible God. So you will not always be able to worship out of a revelation. It may be just something you do, but very often it ends in a revelation. You begin to see the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. That's worship. All things created, giving attention to Jesus. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. From the beginning of creation, where God set up a challenge to Adam and Eve, is it going to be the tree or is it going to be me? What will you honor? Right through to Revelation, where we read about perpetual worship going on in heaven and everything in between where the Israelites were called out of Egypt to come up and worship. And God speaking into the nation of Israel constantly, come away from your idols, back to the living God. And so my final challenge to us today as we look at this topic of worship is, will you be devoted to the one we should be worshiping, Jesus? Will you devote your all? Will you consecrate yourself to Him today? Are you longing and hungry for Him that your life would reflect Jesus? I'm going to pray for you. And then when I finish praying, I'm going to hand back over and we're going to go back into worship. And I know that worship is not just song, but it's a wonderful way to express our desire and our hunger for Him. And so as we do this, I want us to express our longing and our hunger for Jesus and make Him glorified in our midst today. See, through imagine you are born to worship. Let us make this place a house of worshipers, people who are conformed to the likeness of Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that today, by your presence, in your spirit, we choose to step into a place of devotion to you. We put our lives in order at the foot of Jesus. God, we throw off everything that would hinder us and every other longing and desire that would distract us. Like that Samaritan woman who got so distracted about where worship should be, what songs we should choose or what. And yet Jesus simply said, lady, true worshiper focuses on one thing and that is who it's about in spirit and truth. God, today we give ourselves fully to you, devoted in worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. So good to bring this word to you. Well, thank you for listening today. I want to take a few more moments of your time because it may be today you realize that you need to get your relationship right with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never asked Him into your life before. Or maybe 
for some reason you've been you've been moving away from him and today I want to invite you to come back to him or it may be that you're just not sure you're going to heaven and so I want to lead you in a prayer right now and I would really love for you to say this prayer with me and then straight after this prayer I would love you to do something for me but hey let's pray right now dear God I thank you for Jesus thank you that he died for me I ask that you would forgive me I turn away from my past and I give you my life come and live in me I thank you that today I am saved in Jesus name Amen so if you prayed that prayer today the Holy Spirit has done something in your life and so I want you to tell us about it. I want you to email info at c3amsterdam.nl and let us know you've made this decision and let us have your address because I'd love to send you a book that will help you make this decision really strong and become a follower of Jesus. And we'll also be able to help you get planted in a church near you. God bless you.